It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Patricia Fripp. Patricia, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. I'm already my own superhero. (laughs) Well, Patricia, this is such an honor, a huge uh, delight for me. And as my very first guest who owns her very own Wonder Woman costume, my very first question to you is, what does Become Your Own Superhero mean to you? If we go back to earlier in my career... And I've had two careers, one as a very successful hairstylist and then as a successful speaker who then went into being a consultant and coach and sales trainer. When I had my hairstyling salon, these were the days before the internet. And I was always looking for ways to promote and we had the very best yellow page ad and then I started speaking to service clubs to promote my business and I had a young lady work for me called Cookie Davis and she had a very interesting hobby at she at Halloween had a group of friends they were mad scientists bride of Frankenstein she had her own coffin and a guy to lay in it with a stake in his heart all these little ghouly children and she had the most fabulous custom-made Wonder Woman uh, custom she had the most fabulous custom-made vampire outfits the dentist had made her her teeth with fangs she had blood that not real of course that stuck to her face it was fascinating so she came to me and said can i dress up for halloween and that's when she told me we have this company called vampire for hire great business but very seasonal work (laughs) And I said, well, of course you can dress up. Then I thought, well, if you were going to dress up, we should all dress up. And I went down and I rented a costume, which was a Wonder Woman costume. And when I put it on, even though it wasn't that fancy, it was little shorts, it certainly wasn't too skimpy, I felt different. And as soon as I put that costume on, I felt different. Now, I am not lacking in self-confidence, but there's a certain persona, and all movies will tell you that a very big part of a movie 
is the costumes. Because when you put on a costume, you feel a certain way. And so after that first year, I said to Cookie, introduce me to your costume designer, because this is the costume I'm going to wear every year, same as you do your vampire outfit. And so he made me a costume. Now, this photo was not taken when I was 32 years old. That photo was taken decades later because, of course, my presentation skills training packs a punch. <laughs> and then, of course, when you got this fabulous costume and, and everyone dressed up, we had a party. And our Halloween parties became famous. And then we used to go out after the party and we would go to all the hotels, etc., all dressed up to drum up word of mouth advertising. Now, once you have a costume, you always think of, well, where else can I wear it? And especially when I was younger, I would deliver speeches at Toastmaster clubs, uh, conferences in this Wonder Woman costume. And over the years, I have been paid. And the last time I wore this and got paid was a couple of years ago for a Women in Technology program. And these speeches always were designed around Wonder Woman, a mythical character, or a state of mind. And of course, Wonder Woman is a character, and I had a costume. However, to answer your question, I developed Wonder Woman as a state of mind once I had that costume designed. And what does it mean to me? The question that at some point all of us should ask ourselves. Because as Jane Fonda said when she got to be 60, she said, I have entered the third act of my life. And the third act is what makes sense of the first two. Now, I am definitely in the third act of my life. And that is when you tap into all the wisdom you've developed. But I would say at any point, especially if you are newer in your journey of developing into the person you want to be, imagine if I am the superhero person I would like to be, what would my life be like? What would be the results of thinking like and acting like a Wonder Woman or whatever your superhero is? And then every day when you get up, you might look in the mirror and do a superhero pose. <laughs> Because there is a lot of research that proves if you want confidence, if you want to overcome nerves, do stand up for two minutes in a superhero pose. And certainly there might be like an Olympic superhero stance. And you make decisions. 
And there is when I was more of a motivational speaker, I had a line which I often recite to myself because just because I give advice to other people doesn't mean I'm not I don't need to take it myself. And that is very simply. Tell me. What you say you want. Show me one week of your life and we'll both know if you're going to get it. Is that a good enough answer to what does being a superhero mean to me? You took me to a place that I did not expect to go and I'm incredibly grateful that you did. What a wonderful, wonderful synopsis, Patricia. And this is the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast because for those listening that have not heard of Patricia Fripp. She is an extraordinary, extraordinary individual, a true presentation skills expert, a hall of fame, award-winning speaker, a sales trainer, and highly sought after executive speaker, speaker coach, speaking coach. Clearly, I need some of your work. <laughs> top 25 women in sales, top 30 coaching gurus in the world, and she can blow wave your hair into a world-class design. It's an absolute thrill to have you on the show, Patricia. My pleasure. I have another question for you. All right. What did you say when you're on 60 Minutes? Oh, when I was on 60 Minutes. Well, first of all, we got to give you a little backstory because when I first went to my first National Speakers Association convention, I was 32 years old. And I thought, no one will want to talk to me. I only talk to Rotary Clubs and hairstylists. And then I was surprised. One, people were very nice and generous and everyone would would talk to everyone. It was very welcoming. And then I saw the vision. And you know with the work that you do that before you can make any goal a reality, you have to see the vision of what's possible. And I saw the vision of what was possible and I realized it was a long-term goal. And then seven years later, I was in 1984, I was the first woman president of the National Speakers Association. And the National Speakers Association, you certainly have the Australian version. In England, they have PSA, which is the British version. It's a great association of people who get paid to speak or really want to and content experts. In, six, in the year 2000, 60 Minutes came and they filmed all five days and they were obviously looking for a more controversial story than there was really there. And people were lined up because they were doing interviews with people. Now, they'd taken film, Tommy Hopkins and Zig Ziglar and all the platform people, but the mere mortals of which I consider we're all mere mortals, we're standing in line. Everyone wanted to get on 60 Minutes and they wanted to say something really brilliant. I was smart enough to know, and this is a good lesson, if ever you get interviewed for anything, whether it's uh, the news, the radio, uh, TV, uh, newspaper article, you need to speak in a soundbite. Now, if you have a few minutes, you can include multiple sound bites 
with a greater explanation. And I knew on 60 Minutes I would have a tweetable length quote. That was long before Twitter was invented. And I realized it has to be a little amusing and different from what anyone else would say. So on 60 Minutes, this is what I said. This former hairdresser, like others in the trade, is a born talker. When I was a hairstylist, I worked on the outside of people's heads. Now as a motivational speaker, I work on the insides of their heads. There's only half an inch difference. That line got me on 60 Minutes. That half inch has made me millions of dollars. Just not all in the same year. <laughs> it's wonderful. And for those listening, there was footage of a fabulous looking Patricia with an extraordinary hairdo. Do you uh, do you still style, style your own hair, Patricia? Oh, of course. I don't cut it and wouldn't recommend anyone cut it. But yes, 24 years behind a hairstyling chair. I know how to do my hair pretty well. What is it about speaking deliberately that's so important? What do you mean by deliberately? Let me reframe, the, we'll re-ask the question. What is it about being deliberate with our language in communication that's so important? Good, because the quality of the answer depends on the quality of your question. <laughs> this is very important in sales. <laughs> or finding out what your prospect wants. The world is full of sloppy speakers. Obviously, being brought up and educated in England, even though I have an American personality, and from my first trip home after I moved to America, everyone has always said to me in England, oh, you're so American. There is a certain Britishness in my Americanness. Because of the way we communicate in this day and age as far as texting, and it, we don't talk to people the same way we used to. And younger people, nothing wrong with being young, because younger people, God gave them to us to help us work with our technology, so we do need them. Somehow in school, because all our time is on our phone or computer, we don't even know how to write, as in beautiful handwritten notes and essays we had to when I was young. We are turning into sloppy speakers. We also are turning into people who aren't very good at even meeting people socially in times that we can go out. And I'll tell you where this came from. One of my best friends, who I know you're going to interview, Susan Rowan, is the best-selling author of How to Work a Room. And over the years, she has updated the book because it's been selling for over 25 years. It's one thing to write a best-selling book. It's a whole different issue to have a book that has a longevity for over 25 years. And, and a lot of her work, some of it was work based on research. And a Stanford researcher 
when she first wrote the book, said all of 80% of us would self-identify as situationally shy. And this is true. You and I, we are not shy people. However, there are situations we find ourselves in where we might be more shy and, and step back more than our normal personalities. For her last rewrite a few years ago, she went to the same researcher and he said, now 92% of us self-identify as situationally shy. In other words, we are having less confidence. Therefore, and getting to your question, therefore, the more we use language to our advantage, the more we speak in a clear and concise way, the more credibility we have with our leadership, our colleagues or our customers or people we want to influence. And some of the FRIP rules to be more concise are one idea, a sentence. And this comes from the principle, the written word is for the eye. You can have longer sentences. However, the the spoken word is for the rhythm. And you know, if you have a really long sentence that looked really great when you wrote it, you would run out of air when you were saying it. And the whole reason we speak, everyday conversations, meetings, however you define speaking, we want to speak to be remembered and repeated. If a leader gives information, this is our new marketing plan, go do it. The people who are implementing the plan have to understand it. And a lot of people are not confident enough to say, do you have any idea what he was really asking us to do? When a sales professional speaks to a prospect, and the larger the sale, probably, even if you got wheedled down, you're going to be one or three or four vendors to be considered. As I say to my clients, would it be helpful if they could remember what you said? Would it be to your advantage if they could vividly remember stories of how you've helped other customers? And it, would it be profitable if when they get into debrief meetings, they could remember a lot more of your benefits than they could your three vendors? Because when it comes down to a lot of sales, the best presentation wins. And as far as I'm concerned, when you have a long sales cycle, a really months, you're evaluating different companies. Can you imagine if someone say, well, I remember when we spoke to the ABC company and there was some, they, they seem to be more interested in our challenges and opportunities than the others. In other words, they use you focused language and they designed their presentation around your your challenges, but the three benefits 
with them above from the other is this, this, this. And I remember a story they told about another company just like our size, and they can almost recite the stories. If they can do that with your presentation better than your competitors, you've got an edge. Now, the secret is once we know the benefits of being more clear, concise and credible, how do we do it? There are a few FRIP rules, which you have heard before and been reminded of in our conversations as we get to be a friend. I feel like I'm in class the whole time. <laughs> yes. One is, if it weren't a thing, what would it be? Now, let me give you an example. A lot of my coaching clients, remember, I started as a hairstylist, admittedly successful, but most of the clients that I help, they are brilliant people. They got more brains in their little fingers than I have in my body. I just know how to make their words better. And that's only from focusing on one subject for 40 years and different disciplines of that subject. This brilliant engineer who was talking to a technical audience at one of their customer conferences as part of his presentation said, there are two things people love about. So I said, well, if they weren't things, what would they be? Innovative upgrades. Well, there are billions of people in the world. What people love your innovative upgrades? He said systems administrators, which is the makeup of a lot of his audience. Now, if you know, oh, oh, oh you've immediately engaged them. There are two innovative upgrades that systems administrators love. Very intelligent man. However, I'm amazed you don't always show your intelligence or your education by how you speak. Now, I'll give you another example from the technology world and then I'll shut up. I am often brought in to work with the sales professionals to to improve their presentations and of course with technical sales they usually bring with them a systems engineer who is the brilliant technical mind who demos it and can ask answer the technical questions that the salesperson might not be able to and they have a lot of credibility because they understand the technology and so they really are the best salespeople because they're not perceived as salespeople and I was talking just about this, about precise language and don't call your prospects, you guys. Uh, especially if you're talking a high level. See, this is, if it's part of your everyday life, if you call everyone you guys, you're going to stand in front of Goldman Sachs executives and say you guys, and you've lost the business. You have to be respectful. And one of these techie people put up their hand and said, but Patricia, our customers speak the same way we do. And then a brand new fripicism came falling flawlessly from my lips. And although I had never said it before, it is now part of my brilliance <laughs> and my normal advice. I said, there are better ways 
to make an emotional connection with your prospects and customers than modeling their bad behavior and sloppy language. In other words, all these companies are going and saying, we are the best technology. We are your best solutions. Show it by not being as sloppy and as casual as they are. They are the customers. They can be what they want to be and are. You have to be a notch above. So that hopefully makes the case on why you should focus on the words you choose. Well, I, I absolutely adore that, Patricia. And something that, that came to me as you were sharing that, I've done a lot of work around my, on my own health and well-being, and I've been furiously learning about how the body works and interviewing some extraordinary gastroenterologists, including a Nobel Prize winner, Professor Barry Marshall, and talking to him about this, this topic as well. We know that the stomach is about where 90% of the dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin is, is created in the body. And storytelling way back when was a way to for people to remember to not go and eat that dangerous plant or stay away from that saber-toothed tiger. And there's an actual chemical release that happens when you are successfully sharing a story, if I'm not mistaken. Have you spent a lot of time in this particular arena? Not to not the way that your expert has. However, what I do say is that one of the power of stories is because we do, and you've given it, your expert has given us a more technical explanation, is that we consider hearing a story a reward because it doesn't matter what culture we were raised in, we've all had some version of clean your teeth, put on your jammies, go to bed, and mummy, daddy, auntie, grandmother will come and tell you a story. And so we clean our teeth and get on our jammies. We're in bed. We're in bed. In fact, my mother said when my brother and I were little children, we were so well behaved. She would think they're quiet. We're all we'd already been got our jammies on and clean teeth, and we were in bed waiting for our story long before we were told to. Well, speaking of your brother, he he tells a story in another way. He tells a story with his guitar. He's the founder of the extraordinary band King Crimson, which you must be very proud. I would say both the Fripp kids are proud of their sibling. And it might interest you to know that my brother certainly is the genius in the family. I'm very practical and I function probably better in the real world. Brother is one of the most articulate and certainly one of the best speakers I've ever heard. Well, it's really interesting, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I didn't really know much about King Crimson as a band, and, and this is someone who grew up as the the son of a radio announcer who grew up with the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, you know, Jimi Hendrix, everyone. I've got a huge, uh, you know, diverse music taste and love. So I, I made a point of watching your brother play guitar, and I wholeheartedly agree with you. It is beautiful. It's like... 
poetry and motion. And I suppose my question is what parallels with his career and yours do you think you have, if any? It's interesting because as we have grown up and we now talk nearly every day, as we talk about our past, we do find parallels that we didn't realise because we were living on different continents. But for example, the day I got on the boat to emigrate to America and the and the same date, three years later, was the same day King Crimson was born. And... But what we do have in common, now my brother and I have different personalities. My brother is the first to say, my sister has a much more showbiz personality than, than, than he does. My brother is quiet, modest, analytical, and really a philosopher. However, my brother said, as brilliant as he was, and he was always top of the class at school, he was born tone deaf with no sense of rhythm. He is a disciplined, practiced, rehearsed museum musician. Because he said the good part about going to London and being unemployed is that you could practice eight and ten hours a day. Because when you're working, you don't have as much time. So with me, I would say I became a hairstylist and a speaker, and I have done well in both. However, and I am not a modest person, I'm the first to tell you what my superpowers are. However, I didn't necessarily start either profession with great talent. What I started both careers in was an interest in, and beyond that, a commitment to be good. For example, when I was growing up, going to school, even though my brother was a year younger, you know, he was always top of the class. I mean, to me, I was about 15th in the class of 30. And I got the impression, well, I'm not as smart as my brother. I'm probably not as smart as these other kids. So I never missed school. I received 100% attendance certificates for years. Never won anything else, but they knew I turned up. Well, then when I was 15 and I went to serve an apprenticeship, on a Tuesday evening, models would come in, people would come in and pay two shillings and the apprentices would start, would do their hair. Under supervision, of course. And all the other girls would do one or two. I would do five. And I said to my boss, can I bring in models on a Monday? And he saw I was so interested that he gave me an old hair, hair dryer to take home. My dad built a little, a little salon under the stairs so I could practice on the neighbor's hair on a Sunday. Naturally, I progress faster. So my message always is, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. You have to get up early and work harder. 
So then when I left school, when I left home at 18, I went to work on this island off France called Jersey. It was a Channel Isles and it was a tax haven. And I worked there with gentlemen from the West End of London. They could do hairstyles I'd never even seen before. But, you know, one day my boss, Mr. Steele, came up and said, Patricia, you bring in 30% more income for the salon than the other stylists. Now, they were much better, much more experienced, and they were being paid a base salary of at least three times more than I was, which I did not question. They were seasoned that that was the way it was. But you know the difference? They thought lunch hours were for eating lunch. I knew lunch hours were for squeezing in three or four extra customers who couldn't come any other time. Because if you're on vacation or if you're one of the rich ladies who lived on the island, you could book around any time. But the people who worked in the shops... They had to have their hair done in the lunchtime. And I was the only one who was happy to work through lunch. So if you take this habit, this discipline that my brother put into practice, that I put into work, you just do more than everybody else. You're going to excel. So then when I came to America and I started speaking and I was interested in speaking, I practiced more than everyone else. So the question I am asked all the time, well, you got a speech. How do you launch your speaking career? You tell everybody who knows and loves you what you do. Now, when I say know and love you, they might not love you, but if they got an email or a letter, they'd open it. If they saw your name on the phone, they'd pick it up. You have some sort of relationship. You went to school with them. You go to church with them. You know, you went to college together. You used to work together in, you know, 20 years ago. They know who you are. I was lucky because my salon, was in the financial district of San Francisco. And we had movers and shakers and wheelers and dealers. I Sometimes we had a client in our chair and then one of my staff would say, <coughs> you know, he's on the, there's an article about him in the Wall Street Journal. Now that wasn't all of them, but that was some of them. But it, whether it was the up and coming stockbrokers or if it was their bosses, they all came to my salon. And once I realized, after I'd given a, first, a few speeches, that people who heard me speak came in my salon, I realized, well, this is the cheapest way and the most fun way I can market my business. And not only did I tell all my clients, I put a sign in all my stylists' booths because you can't trust them to remember. Ask Cookie or ask Yvonne about Patricia giving your team a free speech. And if they saw the sign, well, what is that? Oh, and Fripp's doing some speaking and she's doing this. And out of that, not only did I get more business, which gave me more flexibility to build my speaking business, I 
develop relationships with people because they thought because of my personality, I'd be pretty good. I exceeded their expectations. And many of the first companies who paid me and continue to pay me came from my hairstyling salon. So you just tell everyone that you're available. So this began with the parallels. And I would say one big parallel is our work ethic between brother in his world and mine in my world. What I'm very proud of my brother, because after years and years of giving interviews, he wouldn't give interviews anymore. Now he's really, whereas I'm a shameless self-promoter, <laughs> You know, you want to interview me? Sure. <laughs> My brother is, is doing amazingly well with, with maximizing Toya, his wife, who's a singer and actress in England. They now have Sunday lockdown lunches with Robert and Toya and they have some hoots and they're getting millions and millions of hits. But anyway, I think I better shut up now and see what comes next. I one thing I I've never experienced before I don't think Patricia is when you listening to you talk it's such a pleasurable experience on my ears but I I don't think it's my ears I think it's my brain and I and it's it's no surprise given you are this master storyteller and I and I really hope that people listening to this will will take heed because learning and, and understanding some of the techniques that, that you have and that you've taught from you and many other of these speakers that I'm sort of immersing myself into has opened up so many wonderful opportunities. And I feel like my natural charisma has gone through the roof based on feedback from people. And I really, truly believe that it's to do with my ability to be a much more effective communicator. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm sure that is true. And we are all really the result of what our mothers used to tell us. You are going to be judged by the kids you hang around with. And, and mothers would say to their daughters, you're going to fall in love with who you spend time with. Make sure they're nice. And then my mother said, go out with a lot of people so that you can make a good choice. Because everybody has faults. Some people's faults you can't live with, others you can. Needless to say, that was very good advice from my mother, who was, who was me in a different body. My, in fact, my brother says, my wife, my sister, my mother, one woman, three bodies. <laughs> Which I always think is very amusing. I never got married, you do understand. Probably because, as my brother says, I'm not surprised my sister gets paid to tell people what to do because she was a very bossy little girl. <laughs> so that my, I like to tease that the expression, if I may suggest, is the line that kept me single my entire life. <laughs> By choice, though, I must admit. Well, what is it? I'll re-ask the question. Right. What's become important in your life now, Patricia? If I had to select one, one answer that is a thoughtful question, probably to stay relevant. 
as you know, I speak to a lot of speakers, National Speakers Association chapters. And as a 43-year member of the National Speakers Association, and again, this is practical. I hope anyone listening to you is thinking, gosh, she used to be a hairstylist. She left school at 15. She's done pretty well for herself. Well, I'm better educated, I'm smarter, I'm better looking, I'm younger. So can I. And I hope they take that seriously. And I hope the message is, you don't have to be that brilliant. You have to be focused and make a commitment and do what it takes. And that's ongoing, consistent, relentless. I was... I made a comment at the National Speakers Association, oh, I can't even remember how long ago, but probably 20 years ago. And I said, it is unrealistic for any of us to expect to be the flavor of the month with speakers bureaus for more than 20 years. And believe me, I milked it to death. There was a, for many, many years, I was paid to speak 120 times a year. Wow. That is not going to be true for 40 years. And, and I would say the late 80s, all the 90s, into 2000s. And I know because I'm organizing my house and office and you would not believe all these plaques and awards from the late 90s and even late 80s which I, you're never going to throw them away, but I'm putting them in a more of a, a room for the, that you don't need every day. I realized if I'm going to stay in this business, people aren't going to pay me for what they're paying for me now. And I, I, I was the first speaker at the National Speakers Association that, used to say i'm use, i'm working with speech coaches now i'd also taken 10 different comedy um 10 different screenwriting classes comedy writing classes worked with an acting coach i even hired a choreographer and said do you know anything about speaking he said no i said i want to pay you to watch me to deliver this three-hour seminar and give me your point of view he gave me one piece of advice he said, Patricia, you use you use the width of the stage magnificently. You don't do enough with the depth of the stage. And then you might be thinking, well, that's an interesting comment. What the heck do you do with it? Oh, this is brilliant. And, you know, it's better to have one piece of advice and then think, how can I use it? Then 10 pieces of advice, that's all good, but where do you start? In many of my speaking classes, I'll say, you come out and you deliver your opening. Now stand still in the center of the stage, but our natural inclination as new speakers is you want to stay at the edge of the, the, edge of the stage because you want to get as close as you possibly can to the audience. Well, stand back a little, because one of my brilliant speech coaches, the late Ron Arden, who came from a theatrical background, you say, Patricia, 
bring the audience to you. Don't go so close to try and meet them. Just bring them to you. So you might deliver your opening story and then take two steps forward into the body of your speech. And then when you do a review, you then say, last story, take two steps forward on silence for a dramatic effect, and then you close. You can't do that too many times in a presentation, or it looks like a technique. Because as Laurence Olivier said, the art is hiding the art. Wow. Now, so that is now... So this was... <laughs> you need about three questions and we can speak for six hours. You understand that. Now, the point is... So this was how I was, this was my doing the five models. This was my working through lunch hours. And, and this is what I did for fun. I was so committed to look at what I did from different points of view. And I used to speak to speakers, National Speakers Association chapters, about all this that I was learning. But when my professional life, I was talking about getting, keeping, deserving customers. And I, and then people, of course, said, oh, well, uh, can I hire you as a speech coach? And I said, well, no, go to Ron Hart and go to Dawn Bernhardt. Because I was so busy as a keynote speaker. And then... Two conversations on one Saturday changed my life. I was speaking to a personnel company in Walnut Creek, 35 miles from my house. President gave her speech. I gave my speech. We sat down for lunch. And she said, Patricia, do you do any speech coaching? I said, oh, a little for some of my friends. She said, I wish I was one of your friends. I drove home, listened to my voicemail, and this wonderful, dynamic, frippy kind of sounding woman said, I don't know if you do this. However, if you do, I want to give you to my husband for his birthday. <laughs> Is that a great opening line? She said, seven of my salespeople came to your speaking school and came back raving. And I don't know if you do any executive speech coaching. However, if you do, I want to hire you to help my husband. He's a great speaker. However, he has the most important speech of his career. And if you're a speech coach, I want to hire you. And I thought, okay, God, universe, whoever is speaking to me, twice in one day, I get the message. And that was the day I formally put up my shingle. I'm a speech coach. So he's still speaking, but I was a speech coach. And he was my first executive client because I called back and this is what I said. Yes, I do executive speech coaching if, one, the project interests me. Two, the client does exactly what I tell them. 
and three if you pay me this much. That would what that would mean. Let's have a conversation. So that was it. The second conversation that trained my changed my life. I was speaking, keynote speech, at a national sales meeting, and the national sales manager came up to me after and said, "I liked your speech. However, I loved how you delivered it." Can you teach our salespeople to speak the way you do? Because it takes a year to get in a position to deliver an hour presentation for a hospital board. It's worth nine million dollars a year if we get the business, and we're losing sales.、It、has nothing to do with our offering or our price. It's just we keep hearing the presentation skills of our competitors are better than ours. And when I put together the program for them, which is certainly not what I can now do, I did not realize, as with the last two conversations, that she had just given me the secret to always be in demand, no matter what the economy was. And when I'm not the new hot speaker in town, and I perhaps, although I look good, don't look quite as good on iMag as I might have done twenty years ago. So at this stage, it's being relevant, and I work with, you know, I I help technology experts who are twenty nine years old, and I sometimes think, do they know how old I am? But they don't care. If you so, the message for anyone listening is: Let's review. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best. You do have to make the commitment and do the work it takes. So few people are going to do all the extra, the more, the five models rather two, which you can get by with. That it's easy to stand out and be noticed by those who can help you. You need to tell everybody what it is you want. People say, "Oh, send me, send me a referral." I say, if I tripped over the perfect prospect for you, what would they look like? Give me some specificity so I can be helpful, and then listen to your customers, listen to your colleagues, and then I promise you, most people. And now, probably, I would be smarter. I, if people want to give you money, take it. Patricia, do you have any concluding thoughts for us? Well, for those, of course, who can see us on video. All right, let me. Patricia Fripp's presentation skills packs a punch, <laughs> and for those of you can see it, there I am in my custom-made Wonder Woman costume. 
And what I would suggest for anybody who is interested in speaking, if you go to my website, fripp.com, in the upper right corner is a button that says free resources. You can get wonderful articles, everything you need to know about putting together a speech, how to present and teach in the virtual world, 11 mistakes that salespeople make in their presentations, and a lot more free. And that will also sign you up for my weekly advice emails that I send out. I have a YouTube channel. Patricia Fripp, your YouTube Patricia Fripp. We have over 500 videos. This is all free. I have a thousand blog posts all on Fripp.com. Now then, if you really want to take all my presentation secrets, Fripp VT, my online learning, is the best of what it's taken me 40 years to learn about speaking. So my concluding comment apart from you are a very good listener which is why your fiance loves and adores you <laughs> and it, it's wonderful to be developing a friendship as we've been preparing for this and i would say i would remind everyone i hope you'll remember me fripp however much more important than remembering me remember what fripp stands for frequently reinforce ideas that are productive and profitable. Ladies and gentlemen, Patricia Fripp. It's Laban Ditchburn and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.